Hello and welcome to the third edition of the Cogcast Extra Time. As we're recording this, the third attempt after, <laughs> uh, after the microphones just kept cutting out for some reason. Um, I'm Paul Connolly. I'm joined by Liam Ryder. How are we doing, Paul? I'll be better if your microphone keeps working <laughs> around us. <laughs> um, and Lee West. Good evening. We all all right, gents? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. And uh, we'll get straight into the action. The Bet Victor Northern Premier getting underway last weekend at the Tobar Express Stadium at the Turnbull Ground. Witten Albion with the visitors and uh, for an opening day clash, a real sort of blood and thunder one. It was. Um, it, the first game of the season to me I'll always consider to be sort of the, the last pre-season friendly because uh, it gives you the opportunity to be able to see whether everything that you have been working at in pre-season is coming off okay, with uh, knowing that you're actually playing opposition that play on your level. Um, it was a, it definitely was not to want to you know play football cliche bingo within the opening two minutes of the podcast on, but it genuinely was a game of two halves. Uh, Witten were on top first half, going in one nil up. Um, I don't necessarily think in they were the better side. I just think Whitby weren't as good as they could have been. And then in the second half, whether there was anything went on in the dressing room or whether they just had a realisation at half time, they came out and they were 100% better than they were in the first half. Uh, Timon's goal, I think, was the thing that, that turned it around almost immediately inside of 47 minutes, two minutes of the second half. From that point on, it, it buoyed us. Um, again, more football cliches. You could see us sink uh, when the when Witten's penalty went in, you know we, we it was fairly even up until that point, and then their penalty went in and our heads went down a little bit, and then our goal went in in the second half and we immediately picked our heads up and the last twenty minutes of that game we were absolutely dominant. I think Witten don't really didn't really stand a chance. Um, how it came away one all, I'll never know. Uh, you know Gelly's last minute uh, save and some fairly fairly tasty tackles. Uh, I think there was a couple of points where we did well not to come away with more yellow cards than we actually did. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a good game all in all. Yeah, I think that first half was was a bit of a strange one, Liam. You might agree with me here um, because you look at the opening ten fifteen minutes. Obviously, Brad Fuse is getting a shot away, testing the goalkeeper early on. But obviously, when the penalty came, that sort of knocked the momentum out of Whitby's favour. They became very sort of latirigrade. They got. It was a lot of sideways passing, a lot of backwards passing. Um, and they just couldn't seem to get going on the back of that. No, um, it was obviously a disappointing way to start the season, going down 1-0 to a penalty that it's more a clumsy challenge more than anything. Um, over the night, you'd probably say that perhaps it could be 0-0, but there again, you mentioned the chances for people like Brad Fuster, and I think Witten had a few reasonable chances as well. Um, I think the problem was, was once that penalty went in, Witten seemed happy enough to defend a bit more, which meant that sometimes it was hard for us to find that killer pass yeah. to try and you know, find a runner going in behind the defence. But in the second half, Matthew Timon's goal, it came from nowhere almost, but um, that sort of changed the complex of the game because it meant that if either team wanted to win it, they both had to come out. And in the end, it's quite head-scratching as to how Whitby didn't win it, really. Yeah, I think something that you mentioned there is um, how Witten set up. They... They came and they seemed to me to be a very negative side and they come for a draw. Yeah, well, um, you know, <laughs> opening day away from home is it? It's not a, probably not a disastrous result for a team like Witten. Um, but in that second half, as Lee mentioned earlier, Whitby were just piling on the pressure from from time has gone onwards pretty much. And you know, in the end, as I mentioned, probably should have won it. You look at the Adam Gale chance right at the end. It's almost like 
for the keeper, it's gone right exactly where he wants it there, really. Um, but, you know, perhaps he'd come in for a draw and it they probably wouldn't view it as a bad result. Yeah, you mentioned the one-on-one there. I think the last person any of us want on a one-on-one is Adam Gell, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I would agree with you on that one. We've got uh, three amazing strikers and one on the bench. You, you really want it to, to fault the approval. But, I mean, to be fair to Gelly, he has had, he's got some wonderful, wonderful goals in the, in the, the, the seasons that he's been here. But, um, yeah, you want, you want somebody that, will, yeah. that has the confidence to be able to, even from six yards out, just leather that thing into the net yeah. rather than try to, to place it round. But, yeah, like you say, Witten, they did they came for a draw. It's, I mean, I, I have no ideas on football management whatsoever, but for the opening day of the season, a win is a bonus, a draw is a must. You know, it sets your level, it sets your confidence and everything going forward and you just build from that. If you come out on the opening day of the season and take a paste in, where do you go from there? It immediately knocks your confidence. So come for a draw, win is a bonus, but it doesn't make for the most entertaining game of football. But there were some really big pockets of quite fun play to watch. Um, even in the first game of the season, you, you know, that Dale's got his wizard shoes back on again. There was some unbelievable balls across the pitch and some fabulous vision, just how he spots players in where they are or whether it's a case of, as we've talked about before, in when you train with a team as much as they do, that you don't necessarily stick a formation out and give them ideas of what they're supposed to do. It's, you know, at this point, you should be here. So I don't have to look up to know that I can turn around when... X, Y, Z happens and you're on that. I can just, you know, put a ball out there and know that there will be somebody on the end of it. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was, uh, it was, it wasn't the best game of football I've ever seen at the Turnbull, but it wasn't the worst, but we genuinely needed, to, we should have come away with a win yeah. there. Yeah, I think, I think I agree with you 100% on that one. And uh, one thing that we can't go without mentioning is Matty Tymon's goal. Um, he Can't loves a chip. Oh yeah, he loves a chip, and it's one of those. It's like buses, isn't it? You yeah. wait all your life, you know, for two to come along, uh, for one to come along, two come along at once. It's a shame the other one yeah. couldn't have come in the yeah. season as well. You know, <laughs> we get a twofer. But no, it was. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's something we've mentioned in on the radio and in various other things. And as years and years have gone by, we have been alarmingly guilty of not taking chances when they've come to us. You know. Uh, I don't mean it's never been like a case of the Arsenal where it's just one pass too many to try and get into the back of the net. It's always somebody's always been afraid to pull the trigger. And I feel like time and in pre season and in this first game, and I mean, I don't know how uh, how he performed on, on uh, Tuesday night, uh, but we'll get to that later. But he seems a lot sharper and a lot more willing to be able to. To just have a, a punt. I mean, we we weren't even prepared for that goal at all. I think I was still supping on me the last of a cup of tea. Excuse me, I, I barely got the camera in place to be able to catch it. You were halfway through reading the team sheet, and the next thing you know, the ball's in the back of the net, and everybody's going bananas. Well, everybody down in front of us anyway, because <laughs> there was only these six of us up in the stand. But yeah, we we just we need to to not. I think this is what Fuster brings to us as well. We need to be uh, less afraid of taking chances. Like they had a couple of one-on-ones, and uh, very early on in the first half, I want to say within the opening ten minutes, he had a, a one-on-one with a defender. Well, so it can't be really a one-on-one with a defender and a keeper, but you know what I mean. But he took a shot from where he was, whereas in previous seasons, whoever we had 
playing up front would have probably just held up the ball waiting for somebody to come in and then it would have been you know we've lost it or it would have gone you know wide but somebody taking those chances is something we've sorely missed there was a point in my brain there as to where I was going with this (laughs) but I'm so tired and so hungry that it just completely disappeared (laughs) (laughs) oh dear but um so yeah obviously we mentioned the goal there Liam and it was a crack that's what we were talking about that's what we were talking about yes you've you've remembered Liam yes I have yeah Excellent. Yeah, so obviously it was a fantastic goal and we want to see Matty Tymon doing more of that and I think we will do because I think his performance was excellent on the day. Um, but but Whitby in general, Liam, you just get that feeling that it was still that little bit of work in progress. Yeah, it was and, you know, you look at instant such, again, going back to the penalty, but, the, you know, it was sort of, it's one of those challenges that you perhaps wouldn't make further through the season when you're a bit more used to you know the types of game you're coming up to and for someone like Luke Bive where you know adapting getting used to playing football again on a regular basis but um, it's often the case the opening day I think it's rare you're going to get the perfect performance because you just can't because you're not prepared for it really you well, know, it's like you, I said it's going back to it's it's basically your last pre-season yeah. friendly it's your first game against someone at your level yeah. and you know you've been playing well now okay you've basically been playing teams that are in the lower leagues under twenty three teams it's quite hard to judge where what sort of level they're at really. But um you know, I think it it will come and again we'll be talking about Tuesday in a in a bit, but by the sounds of that performance it sounded very much like things were beginning to click into gear a bit more, especially in that second half there and hopefully we'll start to see that coming through in the next few games. Yeah, fingers crossed. You mentioned there um Luke Bythway as one of them, he just I think it's going to be a case of it's going to take him five or six games just to get back to that sort of back to that level of fitness that he needs to be, isn't it? Yeah, but it's always going to be difficult for him when you've been out of injury for so long. To he's in a way sort of been thrown back in the deep end. The fact he's playing full matches, lasting the full ninety in this level, and it is a it is a high level to play at. So credit to him for you know starting as well as he has done. And the other day, other than the penalty, you know you can't really think there was. Much fault other than there was a slight incident between with communication between himself and yeah. Shane Bland, but yeah. luckily we got away with that one. Yeah. So, yeah, you see, it's sort of the classic Luke Bythewear thing, isn't mm. it? Where uh, he just plays something back to Blandy and, and he'll, he'll there, get there it. You yeah, exactly. <laughs> you sort it out. Yeah. But I mean, you, you've got to, you really have to hold your hands up to him. He did a fantastic job considering he hasn't played semi professional football yeah. for a, a full year. To, 16 months 16 yeah. months yeah. to to come back in and I mean I remember not long before pre-season, pre-season started when we found out he was coming back it was just oh no he's just he's just training at the moment to go from not playing for 16 months to just training with the team to being in the starting lineup for the first game of the season is quite a hell of a turnaround and I mean yes the, the penalty was a bit of a clumsy challenge you've got to say in, in some ways I think Witten were looking for it. It's a, a case of you've got your back to goal inside the penalty area. Anyone comes anywhere near you, you're just going to fall down and see what happens. But yeah, it, 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 there was, a, you know, they like say a couple of madly errant passes here and there. But it's like I said on, on the radio, it's just, it's, it's ring rust. It's what boxers call ring rust. If you don't do something for 16 months, you, you just lose the feel for it after a while. Something that um, we are going to talk about a little bit more later in the show as well um, is not so much the refereeing of the game, um, <laughs> but just in general, Witten 
and their attitude towards the game on Saturday because I found that very disappointing. I think there was a lot of a lot of going down very easily, yeah. a lot of influencing yeah. referees, a lot of you, you could possibly call it cheating yeah. at times. Um and I found that really disappointing from from Witten. Yeah. For a for a semi professional football club, they basically tried to referee the game themselves by every time something went wrong, there was at least four of them around the referee giving it rock all in Scouse accents. <laughs> questioning that, questioning both linesmen on every decision they made, questioning what game they were watching. I think to be honest, if they'd have put as much commitment into the second half as they did berating the referee, they probably would have won about five one. Yeah. But they just they spent more time trying to, to I don't even say they were trying to get players sent off or anything. They were just trying to, to be the ones that were in charge. It, it's not a case of like coming out and bossing the game on the pitch and being the better team to run the game. They were trying to run the game by bossing the referee and making him I don't want to say they were making him feel uncomfortable or, or anything like that, but just getting him to second guess every decision he was making and making sure or trying to make sure that whatever was happening was going to go their way, whether it was their fault or whether it wasn't. And it just, it wasn't pleasant to watch. I think I've just got to be careful what I say, but, you know, <laughs> given some of the response to uh, some of that, well, our, you know, media work that's come out post-match, it seems that there's a there's a big difference in the two sets of supporters, management at both sides because they're viewing it the other way that we've we've got it completely wrong and that there was nothing wrong with that. But it you know that's just not at all the case, and it no. it's interesting it's how, how it, it seems to filter through to the fan base and club officials as yeah. well that they all have the same attitude yeah. towards it. I mean, everybody wants the team to win. There's no denying that. But when you want your team to win by doing what they did it's just it's not healthy it's not healthy for football at all it's it's just not fun to watch and as I, I'm fairly sure I said this on radio as well or at least in, in the background without the headset and everything on the refereeing is I would say possibly one of the most difficult jobs to do in the world because you're never going to please everybody no matter what you do even if you put your game through every conceivable refereeing structure that there is to say, can you pick out what went wrong here? Even if they get absolutely every single decision right to the letter of the law, they're still going to be hated by both teams and both sets of fans. But when you get a team that is questioning the referee on every decision that they make, you just think, right, well, if he goes and doesn't come back and we finish this game without a referee, how many of you are going to be able to walk the next morning? Because, you know... Just because decisions aren't going your way doesn't mean he's biased. He needs to be there, not necessarily to make con- to keep control of the game, because that's a given, but just to make sure that everybody's safe. I mean, can you imagine Gelly playing football without a referee? <laughs> I'm fairly sure that, that you know we'd be taking up the corner flags at the end of the game and picking up limbs. Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that I noticed through the game, um, and a couple of moments that I pick out as examples of what I was saying, um, I think one of them was when Matty Tymon went in for a slide challenge and the Witten player threw himself yeah. over Tymon's leg. <laughs> yeah, but when he was a yard away. Yeah, he was, he was a yard away from Matty. Yeah. And he's seen his leg go in, so he's just thrown himself and over. Then, yeah. The thing that made me laugh was just the way afterwards Alex White yeah. then actually that, is taken out. Yeah. and that's <laughs> He got clattered. It's like then, watching Minority Report. You know, he saw the tackle coming before it actually happened yeah. and was in the air, arms out and whatever, ready to come down. Round the referee for a red card because it was a sliding challenge. But no, it was... Yeah, that that was that was ludicrous, and uh, think, uh, the, the weir mouth challenge as well was uh, <laughs> the other one, which 
I mean, admittedly, it was uh, in the hospital cup that we had at the end of last season. There was a point where there was a challenge went in between a player from either side. I forget who was playing. It was Slates and somebody else. Slates and Nilo. Slates, yeah. There was a, a tackle between two of their players. Well, basically, they both ran in for a 50-50 ball. The ball went in between them and they just kicked each other's feet at full tilt. But they got up and carried on. And that noise will live with me forever. And I heard that noise in that Weirmouth tackle. And somehow it was all Aaron's fault. And the, the, apparently the ball <laughs> had got away. Off, apparently. Yeah, he, the ball had got away from him and he knew he was going to be losing the ball. So he just decided to bring the foul. I think he, no, he, if, you've, if the ball has got away from you and you know you're not going to be able to, to catch up to it, you just wait for the plate to come towards you yeah. with the ball. You don't lunge in and try and take him out. And there must have been at least six or seven yeah. Witten players around the ref at that point, and it just—it was embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, it must have been like five minutes worth of berating yeah. uh, of, of the linesman as well, trying to question what game he was watching. Yeah. And even we could tell from the top of the stand it was a fifty-fifty challenge that just went wrong. It, was it wasn't anybody's right fault. Yeah, exactly. You know, we've got a good view. Of you know, but what do you do in situations like that? You just can't do anything. Just makes you feel like you want to bang your head against a brick wall. Yeah. I think it just all it all comes down to, and we go back to it again. Witten's sort of what felt like a negative approach mm. to the game and looking to come for a draw. All they were doing was just trying to slow the game down constantly. Slow the game down, yeah. get rid of the momentum for the yep. home side and just get it play the game that way. Yeah. 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 And that was all they were trying to do over, over the course of 90 minutes. And I think we could tell that. And the one that stood out for me was uh, Cesar Linguba, mm. who went off. Yes, and very slowly. Yeah, very slowly. Not at the nearest point. Yes, and that just summed it up totally. But yeah, the letter, the letter of the law says now that wherever you are in the field of play, if you're injured or if you're substituted to speed things up, you go off at the nearest possible convenient point. And for him, it was right behind the goal, and that's exactly what they should have done. And the fact that not a single Witten player piped up about what was going on. No, well, even the Whitby player. Well, the Whitby players were saying, you know, he should be going off at the nearest point, which is pointing out what what should have happened. But if it had been the other way around, they would have had nine Witten players around the referee screaming at him, saying, "What are you doing? What are you doing? You don't know what you're doing. This is horrible. What are you doing? You should be going off at the nearest point." You know, I think I think the most annoying bit about that though is the fact it's a recent rule that's just been yeah, bought exactly. in. That should be fresh in everyone's minds. Yeah, that it's, uh, that, substitutes go off now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, admittedly, the referee should have known, but it was the fact that we didn't scream and shout at him to remind him that's what should have happened. But if it had been the other way around, that's exactly what would have happened. You know, what game are you watching? You know, it's, you know, I'll turn the accent down can, this time. Can I, can I just very quickly apologise to the people <laughs> in general? Yeah, no, I was just going to say that it just. It, it kind of summed the game up all over. I mean, I know that substitutions, I realise I'm rabbiting on here, but I know that substitutions are used as a time management thing. But that's why these rules are in place, is to stop that now. So if you're going to make a substitution and you want to waste a bit of time, just make your substitute yeah. walk on really slowly rather than your substitute walk off. You know? Absolutely. And uh, So we'll move things on then. We'll uh, talk a little bit more about refereeing later in the show. Do Hopefully not to? get too irate. <laughs> <laughs> So, looking at it then, Gainsborough Trinity, um, not the best result in the world. I mean, I'm probably the only one that can talk about the game in any real depth here. But um, you just feel that, obviously from maybe what you've heard on the radio, that I felt personally watching it that we aren't a million miles away from that playoff side that Gainsborough are wanting to be. No, and 
and I managed to listen to it on the radio, and I got that impression, particularly in the second half, that it just seemed to be Whitby attack after Whitby attack the whole time. It was just, it very much sounded just like it was just that final part of an attacking move that was missing, you know, sound like ball was maybe just slightly too high to get onto Timon's head or something like that, or getting headed just over the bar, but... um. You know, it sounded a positive performance, again, like the second half against Witten. Um, I mean, before the season, I was thinking, you know, I didn't want to get in points in the home games. Out of the first four, you've obviously got Witten and Morpeth at home. And I was thinking that, you know, Gainsborough, Bucks, never the games that they're on the road, they're going to be tough. But given, obviously, you can't look at form, sometimes it goes out the window, but looking at the starts of the season, you know, Whitby perhaps could go to Buxton and get something I'm hoping obviously they've had a difficult start themselves but I've, before you know I was looking thinking games were books and they're two hard away games to go to so to put in a good performance against someone like Gainsborough away from home 2 nil probably isn't the worst result you could get there and I think more what you ask more than anything is the performance is there and yeah. by the sounds of it that's what Whitby got yeah it definitely was um, Whitby looked Whitby looked good to be honest with you, Whitby looked good. The second half more so than the first. But I think the first half was a game where there were two real moments of quality from Ashley Walsfall to get the two goals. I mean, one, he's, he's come across the face of the area and pulled the ball back across goal and scored. The second, he's just walloped it into the uh, top corner. Shane Bland didn't have any sort of chance. I think if he'd have got a hand to it, he'd have been looking for his fingers in the back of the net. So... That sort of sums up how powerful that strike was. My criticism of those two goals from a Whitby point of view is not winning 50-50s and not winning second balls before those chances develop. So, obviously there's another part to this that I'll come on to, but there was one where I think it was Shuka in for a 50-50 where it's come away and Shuka maybe could have been a little bit stronger for Whitby. The ball's obviously turned over to the other side. It's been picked up and they've come across goal and scored. But in that instance, the first goal, Whitby as well could maybe have attacked the ball a little bit more and they could have attacked the player a little bit more. Yes, you might have given a free kick away, but in that instance, you've prevented the goal-scoring opportunity. So which would you rather have? Preventing the goal-scoring opportunity and yes, you've given them a free kick and a chance to get another but you know you've got more chance of keeping that out with yeah. a four or five man wall and Shane Bland stood there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think maybe that was a risk Whitby needed to take and looked a little bit reluctant to take. It's something that I'm sure that Chris Hardy will have mentioned and, and looked at and worked on looking back on the mm. goal. Um, but as well as which, one thing that I did note in the first half compared to the second for Whitby was just they need to relax a bit more. If they do turn possession over, they need to relax and not panic. Yeah, that's the thing I've, I've noticed that we've never really quite got over in all of the seasons that I've been coming is that turning defence into attack is... It's not a smooth process. <laughs> it's There's no... I mean, there has been occasions where we have witnessed that when we get the ball in defence that there is a calmness descends and players get into position before we start moving things on. But I think what goes with what Chris is trying to do with regards to playing out from the back and keeping the ball moving and not letting play become stagnant, there is a fine line between doing that and just moving the ball for moving the sake of the ball and playing each other into into difficulty because you need to get rid of the ball or you know just just to to get it moving. 
but yeah, it's never been particularly a smooth process, I think. And that there were, we've had players come in that have brought that sense of calmness to the defence that we've not had. Excuse me, that we've not had before. As years have gone by, uh, I'm trying to think of one off the top. Uh, uh, no, Pelly wasn't one. Pelly <laughs> at times. Pelly, well, Pelly was a great defender, but at times he used to provide mass panic for you know 300 and some fans in the stadium. But we, we've had defenders that have come in, and I think to be honest, that's where Alex shines his ability to be able to just take a breath and pause and see what's around before moving on to the next thing and you have to wonder whether his late uh, fitness failure or whatever it was that happened was part of the reason why the defence were panicking so much because there wasn't that calming influence there to help him you know I can only ask you that with you you being the only Um, one that was there out of us yeah I mean the reason Alex came out the side was on the way down he was complaining of a stiff back Hmm. um, went in for treatment and it just it wasn't getting getting any better better, no so obviously he missed out on the game he was he was limping quite visibly getting off the bus when we got back to Collingham Um, hopefully he'll be fit for this weekend we'll obviously find out tomorrow from Chris Hardy um, so that's obviously something that needs to be noted, especially going to Saturday at Buxton. But again, we'll talk about that a bit later on. Just uh, brief um, that that could be a concern if someone like Alex isn't available because obviously we know Luke Biver won't be playing as well. So you know that might be something to discuss later. Yeah. But what do we do at centre half yeah. there? Yeah, definitely. As I say, we'll discuss that as um, as we go on into the uh, into the coming. Through up your section. running order. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Try and keep it some sort of uh, <laughs> some sort of form of organised. Um, no, I think I think Alex is obviously in any side is going to be a big miss because he's a battler, he's a warrior, he's a winner. Um, do I think it was a miss in terms of being a calming influence? Possibly, but then you put Dan Rowe back in there, who's you know very calm, um, and then you've obviously got Luke Bythway in there, who gives us the frights every week by doing something. Yeah. Regarding the passing, Kieran Willedgy, who can be very erratic, but I think Dan Rowe just drops in as that calming influence again. Um, I just think, in, in terms of across the squad, I think players like Corey Roper, maybe just a bit of nerves because it's his debut and he's been yeah. thrown in at the deep end. Um, that was maybe something to do with it, but it's one of those things that calming influence of Dan Rowe just shifted from the midfield yeah. and went into the defence. Obviously, yeah. Adam Gell's in there, but you would rather have two. Yeah, you know, steady away, calm players. I'm not saying that Corey isn't that and isn't going to be that because I'm certain that he will be once he gets into the swing. It's first night nerves, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I think it's just one of those things that on the night, in the first half anyway, it just wasn't happening for Corey yeah. in that respect. But it'll come for him, I think. Um, so yeah, another another positive that I want to mention as well is the introduction just around half time of Brad Mills and Matty Dixon. Hmm. Because from the first half performance where Whitby were, as Chris Hardy put it, very ponderous, very sort of not really that eager to put their own impact on the game. In the second half, Dixon came on, he was at players straight away, he was hungry, he was eager to get on the ball, he was eager to run at people. Brad Mills exactly the same and getting balls into the penalty area constantly, which Aaron Weymouth wasn't doing in the first half. And it's really good to have those options now where Chris Hardy can say at half-time, right, you, you, get on the pitch, get at them. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, looking at Dixon, within, I think I think it was within four minutes of being on the pitch, he'd had a chance on goal. He'd just got in behind the defenders and got a shot away. Yeah. Which is what you want to see. Brad Mills, 
consistently putting balls into the penalty area, consistently asking questions. Um, so I think looking forward, going into that, it's going to be a real positive for Whitby. I hope so. I mean, you kind of do get the feeling that we have been missing a battler for quite some time. It's it's how I always remember uh, Davy Southern. Uh, it always used to be, I mean, I remember somebody nicknaming him the Terrier once because he, he just always seemed to be here, there and everywhere doing everything he could to try and win a ball, trying to get all of it in the box, trying to score and... Again, you you don't feel as though we've ever been guilty of not having somebody that can do that, but it's always very useful when you do because if you've got somebody that's eager to chase around the centre of the park to try and get hold of the ball, it then frees up everybody else to be able to do what it is that they're supposed to be doing, you know, moving forward, trying to get into positions outside the box. If that battler then gets hold of the ball, it can feed whoever is meant to be playing behind the strikers. They can look up, find a player ball wide, play through the striker. It frees up everybody else from what you would assume is... It's well, it's what I class as the free roll in midfield. You just go there and you get the ball. Don't worry about anything else. You get the ball, you lay it off here, you lay it off there. And is that the, the, the key that we've been missing to unlock our midfield? I mean... It's very difficult to say that because, I mean, our, our midfield are just absolutely outstanding, but there comes a certain point where I don't necessarily think you've got a question, but like if you are supremely creative, is that the only thing that you want to be doing? If you know what I mean, like not in a bad way, but you, you want the person who is incredibly creative to be incredibly creative. You don't want to have them having to run back to make challenges on the edge of the air. I mean, it's great that they, you know, if, if they do that, but you, you, do you need somebody that's in there as, um, <clears throat> it's like, sort of like the classic Patrick Vieira role, just you're here, there and everywhere. You get the ball. Whenever you, when you get the ball, you run forward 15 yards, you play a good, I don't know why I'm mocking up playing a ball through with my foot under the table. It's just, <laughs> so it goes with the territory, but, um, yeah, if you're yeah. listening, just imagine that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As, my old, as my old lecture used to call it, theatre of the mind. Radio, yes, yeah, exactly. So. Imagine me sat here in my jeans with a big bag of hula hoops in front of me, playing a, a sweet through ball to Dale. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, uh, it sounds like he's exactly what we need. Whether the, he can hold it up for 40 games of the season or however many we're playing this year remains to be seen. But it sounds like it was a really, really good start. <laughs> So we'll move on to uh, the next section in the middle. Um, first thing we'll talk about, which has been the news this week, is um, Matty Tymon being appointed club captain and from his first two games and his pre-season, seems to be, uh, seems to be an inspired choice. Absolutely spot on, I think. He is... He seems much fitter and sharper and keener than he has done in previous seasons. Now, whether being given, he's known about this club captain role for all of pre-season and that's helped to spur him on, or whether he's only found out about it recently and that's just how good he has been in in uh, practice and, and pre-season and what have you. It's it's a great role for him. He's, he's shown in the first, well, the, 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 admittedly the only home game I've seen so far outside the pre-season friendlies, but like I say, he's been much fitter, he's been much sharper, he's wanted to get onto the ball, he's... Um, Again, like you can't really criticise everybody at the level we're playing at, but there, I mean, you can't not say that there haven't been a few errant passes here and there, and the odd wild strike and what have you. But he genuinely seems—I can't really say more focused again, but it's 
I f- you feel like he's got his love for football back, if that makes sense. He looks like he's enjoying playing more than he has done in previous years. I think I think that's definitely the case with Matty. And um, looking looking at it, I think he just more and more since he's come back to the club, he's sort of he's realised what it means to people around the club. Um, he's realised what it means to three hundred people out there, and he sort of gets it. Yeah. He seems to just get it. And I think it's because he wants to win every single time he crosses that white line. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, that's that's a massive, massive positive in that respect. Um, but I think what I like about this choice of Matty being club captain is the fact that the commitment he's shown over the last three years to be travelling from... Yeah. You know, to be travelling from the other side of the country to, to train on a Tuesday and a Thursday to go to the back end of nowhere on a uh, on a Tuesday night after he's been at work mm. and to come down here on a Saturday or to drag himself down to, in the past, that's been Stourbridge or Rushall. Um, I just think commitment like that is so difficult to find at this yeah, level. totally. Yeah, it's... You, you do find it very rare because it's a, it's a fine line between commitment and cash. You will find a lot of players will be a lot more committed if you're paying them a lot more. Which, yes, I get. You know, people want to be paid for what it is that they do. But I mean, I love my job. Uh, I'm supremely committed to my job. It keeps a roof over my head. It keeps me in petrol. It keeps my car going. There are plenty of other jobs that I could apply for that are three, four times the wage that I'm on now. But I like where I'm at. I'm committed to that place, and I think that's what what the feeling that you get from him this season. Yeah, definitely, Liam. Um, obviously, then looking at Matty um, as club captain, um, it's just got to be a case of yes, he's had this good start to the season. Obviously, he's got his account open very early on, but he, he needs to keep that level up, doesn't he? And possibly even prove people wrong in in the stands that we've heard over the last couple of seasons. It does definitely, and I think the only way he's going to do that is probably by putting in impressive performances. And you know, we've gone at that almost. It silences the doubters what he did the other day, you know. But um, he's been, as you said, he's been loyal to this club. I mean, is it his third spell he's in at the, yeah. the moment? So, you know, a number of years he's got together with Whitby. But I think he's he's merited that. And you look at him as a captain. He just he does strike me as being a very good leader on and off the pitch as well. Yeah, definitely. And um, looking at it, it's it always like it always intrigues me this. Matty Tymon is in the top 50 of all-time players in the Northern Premier League. Mm-hmm. And I think from what we've seen and from what we've commented week in, week out, you can see exactly why. Because when he doesn't play, that side misses him. Yeah, totally. He, he, uh, he does a good job, or has done in the previous seasons, of filling in the, the, what is the, the Hackworth role, or was the Hackworth role, and get the ball on the edge of the area and hold it up and lay it off. But he's also been able to provide a lot of goals on top of that as well. But... You you genuinely feel as though he is the only one that can play that role, and we get other players in, and if he's injured, other players don't know how to play that role, uh, and you you can genuinely see when he's not there that that you say that he is missing from the squad as daft as it sounds. Yeah, obviously we're delighted for Matty and uh, hope that everyone gets behind him going forward. Um, so yeah, this is going to be the big the big topic that we're going to talk about is. The officiating at this level, because it's something that we speak to Chris Hardy more often than we want to now. It, it seems to be every single week we are discussing 
a flashpoint with a referee with an official on the line. Yeah. And it's it's sort of getting very weary, isn't it, that we're having to discuss this with the manager because I think I'm sick of it. I think Liam's yep. sick of it. I think we're sick of talking about it <laughs> on the hall on the radio. Yeah. And I know for a fact that Chris Hardy's sick of talking yeah, about it, it. It's you dread seeing certain names on a team sheet because you just know it's going to be a terrible game. The football may be great, but outside of that, everything else is going to be terrible. There's going to be bad decisions, pointless yellow cards. Something's going to go wrong somewhere. And it's you just think, should we just cancel it now? Or just phone up and see if we can get somebody else to come and do it. But, I mean, I, I haven't watched Chris's interview after the game on Saturday, but I was sat outside waiting with the gear for you to finish. And I just, like, that's one of those things that will live with me forever. Is uh, just him opening the door and going, I'm glad I've got it off my chest because if I don't, I'd stew on it. And then just storming <laughs> off. You just think, all oh, right, yeah, he's, cl- he's clearly uh, had the same thoughts that we have about how well the game went on Saturday. But, yeah. I mean, like I said earlier on, it is it is one of the hardest jobs to do yeah. in the world. I mean, you've got to have, you've either got to be an, an alarming narcissist or seriously depressed to want to be a referee because it's just nothing but abject <laughs> misery. You just, I mean... I have no idea what they get paid per game, but the amount of training courses and everything you'll have to go through and to turn up once or twice a week for 90 minutes, but just take 90 minutes of solid abuse and then to have to, if you're staying around in the clubhouse, taking abuse in there and whatever. And not that I ever want to make excuses for people, but there always seems to be like inside and outside the whistle attitudes. There... As much as I because I hate the word when people refer to it as banter, when the whistle's going and you're screaming abuse at a man who is basically trying to stop two teams of 11 men from killing each other and making sure that the game is played fairly, that as soon as that whistle blows, oh, don't worry about me, it was, yeah, it was just banter, I didn't really mean it. No, you did really mean it because you said it at the time. If you didn't really mean it, you wouldn't have yeah. said it. But to a certain extent, on the flip side of that argument, you can see why people get so frustrated when as much as people are moaning about VAR coming in and ruining the game now, it's always the opposition's calls that make you the most angry yeah. or calls against your own team. That like, if, if, a, if a penalty happens going one way, one side will say it's, a, it's an abject penalty every time, the other side will never say it was, you know, it was he was diving or what have you. You swap the teams around, but the result stays the same. You know, one side will always say it's a penalty and the other side will never say. And you've got to, you genuinely have to admire referees for doing what they do on a night. But consistency is just, I, I genuinely don't think it's a word that appears in the FA guidelines <laughs> anywhere for anything. No. You know, for, for, you know, league rules, match officiating, anything like that. Just the consistency is up and down like a bloody roller coaster. Yeah, I think... Sorry, Liam. just going to say, it feels like, you mentioned in commentary, every week we seem to repeat ourselves, and it's a case of an offside call given, and it's like, you can just tell they're not offside, but the problem is, it's often the linesmen, they seem to be an extra yard ahead or an extra yard behind, which is just completely ruining the decision because they're not getting that, that view they're supposed to have, and it's, it, that is frustrating because you think... Say, for example, Brad Fuse's caught offside. Well, with his pace, if that turns out actually was onside, yeah. then you know that's a potential goal out the way there. Yeah. One thing that I noted from Saturday's game, and we spoke about this with Chris Hardy afterwards off air, um, it was something that happened in the first half when 
it was Adam Gale and I think it was Liam Goulding from Witten. I think I seem to remember the number six being involved there, where they're just sort of wrestling each other mm. to the ground. Yeah. And then obviously the squaring up to each yeah. other and a fracas sort of ensues. What the referee needs to be doing there is not getting involved. He needs to be getting a viewpoint and see what's going on, see yeah. what's happened, and just ignore everyone else around him. Yeah. If you can't make that viewpoint, step either side, see if you can get a better viewpoint of it. The referee wasn't doing that. No. He, was, he was looking straight on. But you could see that his view was obstructed. So he's seen half of something going on, which has then led to Adam Gell being booked and Dale Hobson being booked for descent on the back of that. But he's not seeing the other half of that where there's a Witten player as bad yeah. doing exactly the same thing as Adam Gell, which yeah. we can see from the back of the stand, but the referee can't because his view is obstructed to a certain degree by a Witten player. Mm-hmm. So the referee there has to take some sort of yeah, like, he has to take some sort of initiative and make sure he can see the whole yeah, situation. Because he can't rely on his linesman for yeah. a start because he was 15 yards behind the plate this happened and he's only got one view yeah. himself which is obstructed from the other side. Yeah. You think if you're going to make a proper abject decision about what's going on to make the correct decision, you need to move around to figure out. You can't just plant your feet and say, right, I'm going to wait till the fight's over and I'll just pick the first three players that look like they're getting off the bottom of the dog pile. They'll be the ones that were involved in it. And it, it was ridiculous that we were the only team that came away with yellow cards from that. But you have to wonder then, in that case, was that Witten trying to referee the game at the same time? Yeah. But, you know... I think uh, my view on that situation is, if the referee can see it, it should just be a case of, right, Adam Gale, yellow card, Witten play, yellow yeah. card, off you go. Yeah. But it's not. It's always, I, It seems to make... To be honest, I don't think he knew who the Witten player no, was. No, I don't Gale think he did. That's why, because he, he couldn't speak to anybody yeah. to be able to say who yeah. it was to be able to book anybody accurately. Yeah. Because all the Witten players would have just denied yeah. it on the spot. I mean, it, it was it was clearly obvious it was Gelly that was involved yeah. with it, but everybody else would have it would have been a full-on yeah. I'm Spartacus moment. Yeah. You know, I want me, want me, mate, want me, mate. None of us did it. <laughs> it's just a random phantom yeah. person in a white shirt. Yeah, and I think another thing that needs to be noted and needs to be picked up on quickly is knowing the new rules mm. going into a new season. Um, when we were at Gisborne in pre-season, something I picked up on is one of the Gisborne players asking about the um, the Simbin rule. Mm. So obviously that comes in at step five this season. So that's in place now. And it was a Northern League referee refereeing that game. Um, and something that... Well, what it was, the situation. Uh, the Gisborne player asked, what is the criteria for Simbins? And basically the referee turned around and said, well... I don't have a clue, so, you know, how do you expect you to have a clue as well? And that's three weeks before the season starts in the Northern League. So you've got to look at that and think, well, you're the person that needs to know that. Yeah, exactly. If you're not knowing that by now, then what hope have we got? I mean, even I don't know where that fits in. If the referee doesn't know where it fits in, what chance have we got? exactly. I mean, what is it? Is it midway between the yellow card and the red card? Do you get a yellow card and then two minutes in the sin bin and then get sent off the next one? Or do you get two minutes to cool off before you get a yellow card and then you get... What? What What the hell? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Another one that's on the back of that is one that we mentioned earlier in the show when Cesar Linguba went off. The referee at that point, or one of his officials, needs to communicate the fact that he goes off at the nearest point. Yeah. He doesn't take two minutes to saunter over to the other yeah. side of the field 
and slow the game right down and take the momentum out of the game again. Yeah, and what you need from that point then is conviction from the referees yeah. to be able to, to book a player because yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're on the pitch or off the pitch, you can still be. I mean, we've seen yeah. enough managers being sent to the stands with red cards for what have you. But if he's then told by the referee he needs to go off at the yeah. nearest point and then excuse me, continues to trot off at whatever pace he likes towards the bench rather than going off. He then needs to be carded for, you know, obvious dissent. And, well, oh, yeah. oh, I didn't know the rules, mate. Yeah. I've shouted at you twice. Go off where yeah. you are now. Don't, you know. Yeah. It, again, it all comes down to consistency. But that, I, I, I get why that rule is there. I think it's a, it's a neat addition. But, again, it's like the Sinbin rule. You've got to know what it is. You've got to know why it's there. And you've got to enforce it. Um, one thing that I noted... Um and this is on the flip side of what we've just been saying about knowing the rules, is um, at Gainsborough, an interesting incident the other night was um, Whitby had a penalty denied, and it should have been a penalty. In my opinion, Timon was dragged to the ground and the decision was given the other way. Being mindful, Timon's gone down that way. Yeah. With a player behind him. He's, he, yeah. yeah. He's not gone forward. No. <laughs> so that was an interesting one because Dan Dixon jumped up from the bench and was screaming the verbals at the linesman and the referee. So the referee stopped play, went over to the Whitby bench and gave Chris Hardy the caution mm. um, because it couldn't be recognised it was Dan Dixon shouting yeah. that because he'd sat back down. Yeah. Chris Hardy got the caution, well, was about to get the caution and then Dan Dixon stood back up and said, yeah, it was, it was me, it was me, ref. And, um, I'm very, very sorry, I won't do it again. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, that was sort of the joke on the bench at the time. Um, so, yeah, it was interesting that the referee actually did pull the player back there just to say, right, if that happens Wind again, you're necking. gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, good to see a referee on that point, knowing what the rules were and yeah. knowing what to do. So, yeah, we'll move on to the final part of the podcast then. It's uh, what's coming up this weekend and... Uh, Big Bank sleep. Holiday Weekend. Lots of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, the Big Bank Holiday Weekend. Starting off with a trip to Buxton and hopefully Whitby can get this sort of hoodoo out of the system of not being able to play on artificial pitches. Yeah, go down. Well, after the uh, disaster result, the only word I can use against Stockton Town on that artificial pitch, we need to go down there and just smash them. <laughs> you know, I don't mean the players. I mean, actually just batter them goal with goals. Um I mean, we we were all there for that Stockton Town game. We saw what Bully's interview was like post match, and then I, I, to be honest, if it was me, I'd have that on a laptop ready to show them for the beginning of that game. I said, "This is what happened the last time you played on one of these pitches. Sort yourselves out. The ball doesn't bounce how you think it's going to bounce. It doesn't run how you think it's going to bounce. You, we can't adapt our game to the pitch because you're only playing on a handful of them. But you need to be mindful." of every pass you play going forward is going to take on five times as much pace as it would do on grass. You know, it's there's always going to be less bounce because of what the surface is made up of and all them horrendous rubber balls that they've got buried in there to stop it from coming to pieces. You can't adapt your game to it in such a short amount of time, but you need to know what that surface yeah. is like to play on. I think this is something that Chris Hardy mentioned is, unless we have like a deluge of rain before mm. that game, that surface is going to stick. Yeah. Every time the ball runs across it, it'll stick. So it won't move like you would on a slick grass surface, like we've seen here at the Tobai Express Stadium and like we've seen at Gainsborough the other night. Um, so the movement isn't going to be what it is out there. No, definitely not. But as well as which, as you said, there's problems that are caused um, by obviously the bounce of the ball, by the movement of the ball. The home team 
whereas the surface, yes, it is the same for both sides, the home team are going to be more aware of what problems that throws up. Yeah, I mean, Bully did say after that Stockton Town game, it shouldn't have affected them at all because they train on that surface twice a week. But, again, it's like pre-season friendlies in the first game of the season. It's all right playing these things and getting used to them, but until you're playing on playing the you know the same level of competition you can never really tell and training is one thing but playing's another you know we we don't have the the amount of squad to be able to play the 11 on 11 training match at full tilt on a on a 4G or 5G pitch we just we just don't have the capability to be able to do that so it it all comes down to I suppose I'm kind of going against my own point here, but it does come down to preparation more yeah. than anything, like you say, of knowing. I mean, you train on it, you know how the ball is going to pass and you know how it's going to play around when you're doing this. But admittedly, it's not at full speed against another team of 11 men, but you should have a, a reasonably good idea of what's actually going to happen. Yeah. I think uh, something interesting to mention, though, is like you look at last season, for example, where we played Scarborough twice and both times put in a good performance. And it's like... Did they do it just because they were, the game was built up for them? It's almost like, do you think, the fact that they're playing on an artificial surface, Lee mentioned about showing that into from Stockton, it's like, do those players sort of need the game to be really hyped up for them? Will that, I don't know if that'll help at all. It's just interesting that, you know, Scarborough playing them twice, big Derby match, that actually those games, they didn't play that badly on an artificial surface. No, not... I think there is maybe an occasion thing there. With yeah, the they occasion. just want to go out and yeah. beat them because it's your local derby. Yeah. That gives you more of a chance. No matter how the ball is playing, you just play better because you want to beat that opposition come hell or high water, I think. But, I mean, to be fair, it's, it's a good point. But, yeah, occasion does does definitely yeah. come into something like that. Without a doubt. And um, one thing that's going to be slightly concerning and give Chris Hardy a hell of a headache on Saturday is uh, his defensive options because we've seen that Luke Pythway hasn't played in a 3G pitch. I don't think he can play on a 3G pitch. Um, and obviously Alex White not coming through the fitness test or the, the therapy, shall we say, on uh, on Tuesday night. So it's it's going to be really bare bones, isn't it, at the back? Yeah, it is. But I'm just trying to think of options. There are a few ways to get around it. Obviously, you'd imagine that in one of the games where Lee Bullock is going to have to play, you'd imagine, but you think, you know, Jasmine Shuk has been playing at left-back lately. He could move into one of those centre-back positions and then you've got the likes of Ryan Weir mouth to come at the left wing-back. I mean, there are ways about it, but obviously Alex White, we mentioned him earlier, is such a big influence on this team. And and again, with Lee Bullock, nothing against him, but it's sort of a case of, you know, he. I think they've very much discussed at the self, the management team, that he will only play if someone like Alex White isn't able to because, you know... Alex is pretty much probably one of the first names on the team sheet, especially in defence. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how Chris Hardy puts that side together on Saturday because you mentioned that Lee Bullock could come in. Um, but there's also the option to, say, put Jasm Shuker in at centre-half, put Weirmouth as a left wing-back and give Brad Mills a start as a right wing-back. Um, whether he does that with Weirmouth after taking him off at half-time on Tuesday, who knows? I think um, Ben Kitch as well yeah. could potentially yeah. fill in at one of those positions yeah. as well on the back. So there's versatility there. Oh yeah, the, the the one thing that Saturday's game will prove above anything else is the flexibility that we've got in the squad. That thing that we've been after for such a long time to be able to say this player's out, that player's out. We've got the options to be able to fill in and, and to actually play a proper decent game of football 
because we can't use the term second string because we don't have a second string, but knowing that those players that we've got that aren't playing every week are absolutely capable of dropping into those positions that we've got without it being a speed dump in, in the road. Yes, yeah, so fingers crossed we can come away with the first three points of the season from that Let's one. hope so. Um, and then moving on to that one, it's it's a derby game of sorts against Morpeth Town. Um, and hopefully another another noise in the shed like we had against uh, Witten Albion. Well, fingers crossed. I mean, the, the weather forecast is supposed to be really nice for Bank Holiday Monday, so hopefully we'll get lots of people out. I mean, there weren't that many fans that turned out from Witten as far as I could tell, and it was 373 in the ground. So fingers crossed that all those that came and saw that first game of the season will come back again. Yeah, hopefully. And hopefully Short and sweet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You sort of caught me off guard there. Um, <laughs> But yeah, obviously we want obviously we want to see crowds going up and going up, and to have 373 in at the uh, at the Witten game was massively positive. Um, I think on this one, Morpeth are going to travel well. If we can break the 500 mark, I think that's going to be an excellent afternoon. Yeah, it will be really nice to see. It's you, you feel at times like the tide is starting to turn, in whatever form it's taken to you know open the doors to to the wider community again. Keeping those numbers up is is critical, and 373 for the opening day of the season is a hell of a start. It's, I mean, it wanted to be. Admittedly, it was a nice day on Saturday. I mean, it was blowing a gale, but other than that, it's. Can we keep that up when we've got a team that's travelled four and a half hours to get here on a stinking cold November night where it's sleeting and it's howling and what have you? And you know those hardy folk like us that are at the, you know, I mean, we don't really have much choice to turn up. But, you know, <laughs> those that still turn up come rain or shine and what have you. If we can keep those numbers going all yeah. through those winter months, I think we'll be onto a winner. But yeah. yeah, the shed were bouncing. There was tons of noise. Whether that was down to the fact that the stand was closed and, you know, there was more of a like a gala day atmosphere around the outside of the ground because you didn't just have a pocket over there and a pocket over there and then everybody else that doesn't want to get involved in that sat in the stands just staring on. But it was brilliant either to hear the shed chanting and shouting as much as they were. And they did it responsibly as well. We didn't see anybody from the security team taking anybody out in a headlock or picking them up by the feet. And, you know, nobody did anything stupid. It was just, it's how football fans should be at home and away. Don't disgrace yourself. Turn up, bang your drum, make some noise, have a drink, go home. That's what it should be about, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, definitely. And um, looking at that game, and two games so far as we're recording this for Morpeth, they've had a cracking start, really, haven't they? Beating Warrington 3-1, who will be one of the title contenders, you would think. And then um, going out and getting two last-minute goals against Lancaster. So it's going to be a really tough test. It is, and I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, who who is this team? But they're going to come up, and there's not going to be any pushover for anybody. And but I think we've already mentioned the crowd that could possibly be the difference yeah. on Bank Holiday Monday. You'd hope that you know if the crowd's behind Whitby, it'll push them on to win. But it will be one of the probably one of the toughest games we'll actually have this season, I'd imagine. Definitely, I think that's. I know we mentioned there's no easy games in this league, and Chris Hardy always mentions it. He's, he sort of just has a button that he presses every time we ask the question. Um, but yeah, th- this one really isn't an easy game when you look at the squad that Morpeth have assembled. Um, and signing players like Sean Reed from Blythe Spartans, who was one of Blythe's players of the season last year, is a real statement of intent. It is, and considering Blythe in the league above as well, 
that shows how much yeah. quality he's got. For the time being. Yeah, well, for now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they, are, they are very quickly hurtling back towards this division. Um, but, uh, you know, last season, anyway, with, yeah. if he's their player of the season, he's coming down another level, then he could, you know, yeah. easily rip this league to shreds, yeah. if you like, you know, if he's yeah. causing many problems for it, yeah. many teams. Yeah, it's certainly going to be uh, an interesting one looking over the weekend. Of course, you can catch us on Yorks Coast Radio Extra for both of those fixtures. We'll uh, we'll have live coverage of them. We'll have uh, highlights from the Morpeth game as well. Highlights from the Witten game are available on YouTube and uh, the links are on our social media. Uh, coming up soon is the uh, Scarborough Athletic Match. Tickets on sale for that one from Turnbull's Bar. They'll be on sale on Monday too from the Morpeth Town Match. Um, but for now, Lee, thank you very much. No problem. Liam, thank you very much. No problem. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. We'll also have some reaction from Buxton and Morpeth, but we'll be back next week with more from the Codcast Extra Time. So thank you very much, and good night. Can I finish my other ropes now?